0: Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow, focusing on advanced manufacturing innovations, solutions, and partnerships that exist in our region now and in the future. Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow. This is a new podcast series sponsored by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute and The Ohio State University. Our focus is on manufacturing innovation. I'm Marty Kress. I'm your host. Today, we're speaking with Martin Norfolk, president of Fabrasonic. With over a decade of experience in manufacturing, research, development, and shop floor management, Mark leads Fabersonic in the commercialization of ultrasonic additive manufacturing. Mark led EWI's development and research into this technology for four years, leading up to the inception of this new corporation in Ohio. He's been with the company ever since, acting as the uh, president and the CEO. Prior to joining EWI, Mark held numerous manufacturing and management positions at Deere & Company in Moline, Illinois. Mark holds an MBA from the University of Iowa, a Bachelor's of Science in Welding Engineering from The Ohio State University. Mark, welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow.
1: Thanks for having me, it's great to be here.
0: Well, we're excited to talk about additive manufacturing. It's probably one of the hottest topics uh, around the world, let alone in this region of the world. How long has uh, Fabrasonic been in Ohio, and can you give us an idea? What are some of the key features that when you spun the company out, you stayed local?
1: Yeah, Fabersonic was founded in late 2011. So, uh, as you mentioned, we're a spin-out of EWI. Uh, EWI is a local nonprofit organization devoted to developing new manufacturing technologies to help their customer base uh, build things faster, better, cheaper. Um, Along the way, they develop new technologies. Uh, Often those new technologies are are sold off to the the companies that they're working with. Um, In the case of certain technologies, though, they have a broad base appeal. Um, that could really go to, to a wide range of companies. And in, in those instances, uh, EWI does a spin-out of a for-profit. Uh, so Fabersonic is actually the first spin-out of EWI as a, a for-profit company um, building 3D printers. Um, some of the reasons we stayed in Columbus is, is obviously our, our connection with EWI, but also a, a lot of the key research for the development of our process was done in cooperation with Ohio State. Um and we also have a fairly tight connection with Tech Columbus. As you mentioned, we uh, won the, the new startup of the year last year from Tech Columbus. So uh, we've been working with them for quite a long time and, and have a great working relationship.
0: That's fantastic. Could you give the viewers, because a lot of people hear about additive manufacturing, 3D printing, could you give them an idea of what it is and what its advantages are to a company?
1: Sure. Uh, So 3D printing is all the rage right now. I mean, everybody's talking about it, everyone's excited about it, and and that's a great thing. Um, Really what the core of 3D printing is, is changing the way we think about manufacturing. Um, In traditional manufacturing technologies, uh, we typically start with a large billet of material, um, something that, you know, is larger than the part that we want to make. And then we, we work on that through manufacturing technologies like CNC machining, where we remove material. Like welding, where we add material, um, like bend breaks, where we bend or form a part. Um, in additive manufacturing, we take away all those processes and build the part from the ground up, layer by layer. So really, it's a CAD to part. So instead of having you know a CAD file, 17 drawings, and you know four or five different operations, we start with a single CAD file. It goes through one operation called 3d printing and at the end of that we we come out with the exact part that you're looking for
0: so i go from computer to product and i'm sure the rate of speed is much quicker than the traditional process
1: so that's a a bit of a, a misconception in in the world right now you know everyone's talking about 3d printing and how fast it is well i i'd say 3d printing is actually pretty slow okay um you know a lot of the technologies are are in the order of you know one cubic inch an hour Um, Our technology is a little faster, we're at 15 to 20 cubic inches an hour, but the build rates are are fairly slow. Um, So that's a bit of a misconception. But what it allows you is speed to market. Whereas before, I I mentioned you have, you know, six, seven different processes you have to go through. Um, Typically on, on a prototype for certain, that would be sending a part to six or seven different stations or even six or seven different companies. Whereas in the 3D printer, you put it in, you start it overnight, and the next day, the, the part is done. Um, so you don't have to go through so many iterations. You don't have to make molds or fixtures. It's all done um, at the same time. So Fantastic. for prototyping, it is much faster. Yeah.
0: Could you give us an idea of some of the products you are prototyping, some of the companies you're supporting with your activities right now?
1: Uh, unfortunately, I can't give names. Okay. Um,
0: how about examples? Yeah, certainly. Uh,
1: <laughs> we do a lot of work in the aerospace field. That's about a third of our business. Um, so that's typically building low volume parts um, that don't make sense to, to create hard tooling for. So it's not necessarily prototyping. Uh, we actually got an order last week for 20 production parts that are, that are going into space. Uh, so we can get production parts, but it's typically in the aerospace field where their production runs are 100 or 200 parts. Um, Another area we do a lot of work with is heat exchangers, especially high-end heat exchangers. Because we're building the part layer by layer, uh, anywhere in the part we can stop and come in and machine away or remove material. So we can make very complex internal shapes Mm -hmm. um, that are impossible with traditional machining um, processes. Um, This allows us to make very high-performing thermal management devices uh, at a very uh, cost-effective point.
0: Got it. There are different types of 3D printers, and you're focusing on the material metallic side versus the powder side of the equation that other people are working with, or do you do both?
1: Yeah, our technology is really set around metal manufacturing. So any metal that you can think of, we're probably working with. Um, A lot of the 3D printers that are out there take metal powders, melt that into a molten puddle, and re-solidify it. So they're basically melting powder to make a three-dimensional part. With our technology, we're actually taking thin foils of metal strip and we have a a low temperature welding process that actually welds at almost room temperature. Uh, So it's a little bit of a departure from some of the other technologies out there. Since we're not melting the metal, uh, there's a lot of advantages that come along. First of all, we're not changing the material. So the material properties of our our feedstock are exactly the same as our outgoing product. Um, The second is if you take two different metals and you melt them, and then you resolidify them all as one, you typically get something uh, called an intermetallic, very brittle like glass. With our process, um, in most alloys, we're at 200 degrees F, so very, very low temperature. We don't have those metallurgical interactions, so we can print uh, metal parts that have four, five, six, or even seven metals all in the same part which allows us to create some pretty interesting configurations.
0: Oh, absolutely. The other day, I was walking through the mechanical engineering department of Ohio State University, and I think I saw one of your printers sitting there. Could you talk about you know, how you interact with the research university so that we train that next generation in terms of this uh, technology?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, actually, if you go back in history to when we founded this company, the technology really got a, a kickoff from a, a third frontier project. So the Ohio uh, government provided uh, money through the Ohio Third Frontier pr- Program in the form of a Wright Project grant. And uh, that grant was actually a collaboration between Ohio State University, the welding and mechanical engineering departments, and uh, Fabrasonic to create our first machine. Um, ever since then, we've been working very closely with Ohio State, uh, especially the mechanical engineering department, uh, Dr. Marcelo De Pino, um, in really pushing the boundaries of what the technology can do. So right now, He has eight or nine students devoted to working with our process, creating new applications, creating new ideas, new ways to use the process. And along the line, they're getting a fundamental understanding of how 3D printing can be used um, in a manufacturing environment.
0: Can you talk about one of the uh, White House National Manufacturing Initiatives is in Youngstown. It's 3D printed additive manufacturing how does that help your business and what new innovative uh, technologies and ideas could come out of that to even augment your capabilities?
1: That's a great question. Um, the Nami or America Makes as is, is called is yes. is based in in Youngstown. Um, and they're doing a lot of work um, on educating the public and educating businesses on what 3D printing is and what 3D printing isn't. I mean I think that's probably the biggest advantage that uh, Fabersonic is getting from that organization is really their education and outreach, training people and companies on you know, what to expect and what especially not to expect from 3D printing.
0: So don't overhype it out of the gate, because over the long term, you'll probably far exceed expectations. But in the near term, we have a tendency, perhaps, to say, this is the cure-all for everything you need. Exactly. Got it. <laughs> um, talk about, as you look at your company today, what are your most pressing research, resource and technology needs, and what do you do to address those in this region?
1: So from a resource standpoint, um, we're a small tech startup. So we as we're developing the technology and growing our business, we're really inventing um, those those technical resources that we need. Um, as, a, as a small startup, it was kind of hard to get a start on who do we hire first? What skill sets do we need? Um, and, and that's always evolving as we grow the business. Uh, we started out hiring, you know, we're engineers, we'll hire some engineers and, and try and And invent this technology as we go. Um, And certainly we have some great engineers that are doing some great work. But along the way we found we also need some of the skilled trades um, like CNC operators. Our technology is completely based off of traditional CNC machining. Um, So in order to run our machines and to run the production parts that we do every day, we really need some skilled tradesmen. And we actually dipped into some local community colleges to to pull that skill set in. Um, Lastly, as we kept evolving, we we noticed that we needed somebody to kind of translate the engineering into the everyday. Um, So we were lucky enough to find at at a local community college a young lady who has an MBA, um, was doing marketing for 10 years and found out that she really didn't like it. Um, so she went back and got an engineering um, education. Um, and now she's in our organization doing both roles and uh, really helps to fill that, that gap between the, the geek engineer um, and the and the public who needs to understand what we can actually do.
0: At the end of the day, if you can't communicate what it is you do and what its value is, it makes for a poor market conditions, right? Yeah, it's
1: not the, not the best way to build a business.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Talk about the role, and you hinted at it a little earlier, that Third Frontier was a key catalyst for you. Collaborating with both EWI and Ohio State was the foundation of your company. Talk about your perception of the value of public-private industrial partnerships and what are the key ingredients that make them
1: work? Well, I think public-private partnerships are, are really the way to go for new technologies. Um, you know, companies certainly want to have their secret sauce. They want to have the things that they invent themselves. But if everybody in the, in the nation is looking at 3D printing, it, it really does make some sense to bring together everyone's funding and raise all boats. I um, mean, certainly there's room inside of a framework for companies to have their own special applications. Um, but to get some of the base research done, I think public-private partnerships are, are a good bet. Um, For instance, with our Third Frontier Project, certainly the state provided about half of the funding for that program, but at the same time, half of that program was funded by commercial entities such as Boeing, GE, EWI, um, as well as a little bit from Ohio State. So it's kind of bringing funding from all different sources together to go meet a common goal. And that's to develop a new, a new technology that can really help the state of Ohio and help manufacturers here and around the nation.
0: How could organizations like the Ohio Manufacturing Institute, the Ohio Manufacturers Association, are there institutes that help promote your technology and your capabilities, or how could we help you do that better to expand your market base?
1: That's a good question. Um, one of our our primary outlets right now is Tech Columbus. Um, Tech Columbus, although we're not located there, we, we we've been working closely with ever since we were founded, um, and they do a great job of marketing local Columbus entities out to a broader region, um, and and we really enjoyed working with them. I think the second piece you mentioned with some of the Ohio institutes, especially through Ohio State, is really uh, just gaining market knowledge that we exist Um, as you mentioned you were doing a tour the other day and you came across a fabrasonic machine Uh, we often get a lot of customers from that machine people taking a tour of the the mechanical engineering building companies coming in hey what do you got new what's new and exciting they walk down see a metal 3d printer see students running that 3d printer and that really is a, a great driver for developing new business
0: yeah it's uh it's, it's amazing when you walk through the university and see all the different assets the kids have at their uh, command. If anything, it reinforces the commitment of the state, the region, and the university to advanced manufacturing, which I think is an important message in its own right. Talk about the global market that you're in, and what is the role of 3D printing? Uh, There was an article on the web a few weeks ago. Half of the people said it's valid. Half said it's not. But it showed a 30-meter titanium wing that, in theory, came out of a 3D printer. What is the potential of 3D printing? And is it being as rapidly embraced around the world as it is in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, actually, I think to answer your last question, um, outside the U.S., it's being embraced much faster um, than here in the U.S., uh, you mentioned America makes, and I think that's about a hundred million dollar program. Um, but I can can list four or five hundred million dollar programs in Europe, mm. um, and China is an order of magnitude higher than that. So I think the world stage is very much um, investing in this technology um, and uh, driving it uh, to new 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 heights as fast as possible. Um, as far as how is 3D printing going to affect the world, I think it's really. In the short term, I think it's driving innovation, it's driving new products. Uh, But in the long term, the 20, 30 years out, I think we're gonna see an evolution in manufacturing. Um, Right now we have what I would consider centralized manufacturing. Companies go out and they, they optimize a series of manufacturing steps in order to make a product at the lowest price point. And through that, they invest an enormous amount of capital in that optimized flow of material through, say, a factory. Um, And we really value that. We want to have a cheap good at a high quality, um, and centralized manufacturing works well for that. What 3D printing does is it allows you to get rid of all that capital equipment, get rid of all that optimization, and drive to single CAD parts, single physical part. And when you remove all that capital equipment, you really change where the value is. It's no longer in investing huge amounts of capital equipment, although 3D printers are expensive and will still need capital equipment, um, it allows you for anybody to take that single piece of capital equipment and make the product that they want without all the engineering knowledge, without the optimization. So it's really gonna drive value from who are the big companies who have this big infrastructure to who has the best idea. So someone in Africa living in a earthen hut can have a great idea. And if they can translate that, even with a drawing to someone who can put it in a 3D printer, they can make that product. So really the idea and the concept is where the value is gonna lay as opposed to the large manufacturing infrastructure of today.
0: That's great input. Uh, To follow up on that in my prior life before I came to Columbus, Uh, supporting the Rapid Equipment uh, Force for the U.S. Army, and most people don't know, they deployed trailers with 3D printers to Iraq and Afghanistan for just that reason. If you had a problem, you'd come online in the morning, you'd sit with the colonel that ran the program in IDO, they would fax the solution to you, and you would print it. You didn't need that basic knowledge, but it just changed the whole logistics supply chain in a time of crisis. So there's some people that argue the FedEx of tomorrow won't be. I take the package and ship it. It's going to be. I take the drawing and ship it. Yes, yeah, and are the you drawing, ready for that world? Send
1: your drawing <laughs> to the local Kinkos. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a fantastic, fantastic concept.
0: Um, if we look at uh, Fabricsonic, five, ten years out, where would you like to be, and and what would you like people to to know about the the company? Do you see future growth, new market opportunities?
1: Certainly. Um, we've only been around. You know, we're coming up on our third third birthday here, actually, this weekend. We're having a little party to celebrate three years. Um, and really what we're seeing is just new markets opening every time we, we walk out the door. We, we make one product, and a customer shares that with one of their suppliers, who shares it with one of their suppliers. And we get all mm-hmm. kinds of new applications that even we weren't thinking about. I think one of uh, the most interesting things is uh, the students at Ohio State, uh, they came to us and said, we want to build this certain aerospace part. And they gave me the dimensions. And I said, no, that's impossible. You can't make that. Um, last week, they set one of the parts on my desk, completely made. Um, so so even, even us who are quote unquote experts, there are things that we can learn.
0: There's a lot to be learned in this environment. You mentioned a key part of, of the manufacturing equation that sometimes we overlook. The supply chain is the heart and soul of what we do. And it's nice to be able to integrate those parts and components. Are the supply chain the primary market versus the large primes?
1: That's, that's an interesting question. Right now, the primes are the only ones that have deep enough pockets to get into the game. Um, and, but certainly, that's going to change over time. When we started out our company, we thought, hey, we're going to do what everyone else does. We're going to build machines and sell those to the, you know, the aerospace OEMs. But as we've evolved through this process, um, we've started to, to show the technology to to. Customers, um, and they look at it and look at the different things that we can do, like embedding electronics, multi-materials, large parts, six foot by six foot. Um, and they said, "Well, we really want you to prove it to us." So we would take our machines and we would build their parts and prove that yes, we can build quality parts, you know, using this new fancy-dancy technology. Um, but along the way, we started getting customers saying, "Well, you know, our our volumes are only a thousand parts a year. Could you just make them?" Um, and right now we've evolved our, our business model from we're not even building machines anymore. We're building parts. Got it. Um, Got it. There's a wide range of, of companies out there that are basically creating that new 3D printing supply chain.
0: Exactly. So you become a service industry that supports people versus selling the, the component parts in the hardware itself. Yeah. Interesting world we live in. Very. If there was one thing that would surprise listeners about Fabrasonic, what is it?
1: I think the the biggest thing that people have a hard time wrapping their hands around is that we can weld metal at room temperature. Um, I'm a metallurgist. If you want to argue it with me, I can go down the, the rabbit hole on that. But uh, it's, suffice it to say, we're getting 100% dense materials.
0: I, uh, <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm one of those people that, uh, and I'll reference one company in particular, when I saw GE doing turbine fan blades with 3D printing, I said, this is real. Yeah. So the market's really changing. The market's really responding. Uh, we wish you and Fabersonic nothing but great success. And uh, just so you know, our next guest has took a desktop printer, and the first thing he did with it was print a printer. So there's a thought for your future market opportunities. Mark, it's been a pleasure to have you on Manufacturing Tomorrow, and uh, keep, keep pushing the state of advanced manufacturing. Thank you very much. You're welcome.